Welcome to a special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. In our bonus episodes, we like to give some airtime to stories and individuals that are doing something just that little bit special. Today's guest is Ken McGarry, passionate hospitality champion and author of the recently released The Surprise Restaurant Manager. Coming up on today's show... Ken does an impression of his mum. I had the worst experience and it was terrible at this restaurant. Phil thinks that he's in the 90s. I'll assume that the check's in the post. And Ken says the nicest thing we've ever heard. I'd just pull an all-nighter just to, just to talk to you, Ken. All that and so much more as Ken talks us through his story and journey to date. Ken has produced an exceptional book aimed directly at all those people who woke up one day and then found they were leading a restaurant. The book is packed full of wonderful advice to help you with both the simple and the complex, all backed up with Ken's natural wit and charm from 20 plus years working on the front line of restaurant management. Throughout our chat, we cover off some of the key points, but to get hold of your copy of the Surprise Restaurant Manager, head over to your favourite online book retailer. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share these amazing stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we have a cracker for you as we welcome the founder of Corgan Hospitality, which is out of Chicago in the USA, but also, and probably the main reason why we connected and are chatting here today, is the author of the recently released book, The Surprise Restaurant Manager. And uh, so I am delighted to welcome to the show, Ken McGarry. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. Really appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am doing fantastic. Great stuff. So we're we're, we're recording this at the beginning of June 2021. Uh, how's life and COVID treating you guys over there at this time? We are beginning to find areas that are coming out of it. And due to vaccinations and different restrictions, different states are opening up. And because of that, uh, we're slowly but surely returning to normal from a capacity standpoint. Yep. That, does, that doesn't mean, however, that from a staffing standpoint, that it's as easy, but at least we are heading in the right direction. Yes. Well, I, we have exactly the same problem here in the UK, and I think we'll we'll probably cover that at some point down, down the line uh, in this chat. But where are you recording this today? I am recording this in Chicago, Illinois right now. Excellent. And that's where you've established your, your business and I suppose the latter part of your career so far. So yes, the uh, consulting aspect of what I do is uh, based in 2018 and I based it right here in Chicago, but I have clients nationwide. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, well, let's uh, obviously before you wrote a, a, a book, there was a whole life really that uh, that kind of led you to, to speaking and, and uh, talking and writing about your the, the subject that you've chosen. Mm-hmm. So take us back, if you will, all the way back to the beginning, because I, I did note from your your background actually that you you studied English language and literature uh, and English composition, which is not the normal route into hospitality. No, I'm I'm one of those people who never thought I would be here. I, right. My my original intention was that I was going to go to school for English. I was going to maybe study abroad, uh, maybe do some training. I took Japanese, which was super enjoyable, but not super helpful in my industry. And so I said, okay, taking a job as a server, as a bartender was how I made ends meet. I've been in the industry from some form or fashion since I was washing dishes and wearing a mouse outfit at a themed children's 
pizza place. So Chuck E. Cheese here, and you put on a mouse outfit and dance around, and then you go wash dishes. And that's how I started. And then I quickly graduated to being a server and then a, a bartender in my area. And didn't just always kind of had it in my back pocket. And I was one of those people who always said, well, I'll do this until I find a real job. And, <laughs> you know, and now that this is my real job, it drives me bonkers when people say that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that this was never the plan. And slowly but surely, once I found myself doing my what I went to school for, which is writing and sitting at a desk and being at that same desk for hours and hours and hours, I realized I, I hated it. I just I had to be around people, which brought me back. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. And I would imagine that that you're absolutely not alone. Uh, in that, and I hear you when you say uh, about the fact that it drives drives you nuts when when somebody says to you, um, "You know, I'm just doing this until I find a real job." Of course, this is a real job, mm-hmm. but it is. It's, I don't know what it's like for for you guys in the states, but in the UK here, it's not like it's it's not high up the list of things that careers advisors talk about mm-hmm. as career options for people. No, no one's like, you know what, you would be a really good waiter no that's not yeah. that's not really in, in in guidance counseling that's that's never something that they lead into and that's probably one of the biggest challenges of our industry is that they it is seen as being a oh is that what you're doing well are you doing this until you get to x but the majority of at least server bartender staff level that's usually their focus as well they're you know the the usual aspect is they're doing this until they become an actor or become they become a musician, or because they become something that they are thinking that they want to do, and that this is their stopgap. Yeah. And but then making the leap into being a restaurant manager is like, why in the world would you do that? Because now you're going to work twice as many hours and make half as much. So why in the world would somebody want to be a restaurant manager in the first place? Is literally chapter one of figuring out what's your motivation. Yeah, well, nice segue straight into the book. I like that. <laughs> uh, and, and what is the primary reason why we... right at the beginning? Just, just yeah, jump do right it. In. Get it out of the way. Absolutely. <laughs> but it is the, the the primary reason why we kind of connected. In any case, was because I, you know I think that the, the even the title of your book, I think, kind of nails it. I think a lot of people do find themselves in a position whereby they're you know they're being offered their first restaurant management job, and it's like. Yo, hang on a minute. Unless you're a careerer, you like unless you totally had the vision for this from the outset in your career, then maybe a lot of people do get there, you know, surprisingly, um, yeah. and find themselves waking up one morning going, "God, how did I get here?" Yep. Someone just handed you the keys and said, "Do you mind locking up?" And the next thing you know, you're a manager writing schedules and hiring people, and unfortunately, firing people with no clue of what you're doing. And that's exactly why it's the surprise aspect. But being a restaurant manager is literally boot camp. That's the whole, I mean, you wouldn't go to boot camp to go to the army if it wasn't because you were wanting to go into something greater. So being a restaurant manager at the beginning, it is incredibly hard work for not a huge reward. And I'm sure that you probably, it's the same thing for you in the UK that, yeah, you'd make more money as a bartender by far. So why are you doing it? And then once you figure out your motivations, how do you get there? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I actually I love the the section in your book around it that um that broke it down into kind of six was it six reasons, six categories as yep. to how you end up becoming a restaurant manager? Yeah. And one we talked about one about the fact that you know you you just start out doing something because you're doing something else at uni or whatever and you know it just so happened that you landed in into to hospitality but there's so many other categories as to kind of how you end up being there. Yes, the one that happens quite often are people that underestimate the challenge of what it is to have a restaurant. And you know, these are the people that were probably successful in other professions and then say, you know what? I always wanted to have a restaurant. I think that sounds like fun. And so they might have done great in a medical profession or mining or whatever it is. And then they go open a restaurant and then realize, oh my gosh, this is eating up all of my time and it's not even profitable. So those people have a kind of a romantic sense of what an enjoyful post-career endeavor. And from a consulting standpoint, these are the people that I encounter most often. People who have entered into the industry, but they have no clue of what they're doing. Or people who it's been in the family and it was passed to them and they didn't really want to do it in the first place. Right. Or, or people who were very culinarily driven and they might be exceptional chefs and everybody in the neighborhood loves when they cook. So they figure... I can make a restaurant because everyone loves my food, but that has no basis on being able to run a restaurant. So all of those things together are kind of the reasons why you chose to be in the position that you're in. Yeah. So where did the, um, where did the motivation come from to, to write this book? Did you just see all of this kind of manifest in front of your eyes and go, Oh my God, I can, I can kind of help these people. So the aspect was simply as I was going from restaurant to restaurant with my company, I was having the same conversations over and over. And my, my biggest partner is Chef Fabio Viviani, who was on the American version of Top Chef for two seasons and has about 35 restaurants nationwide here. And right. does very well, very, very internationally known, exceptional chef. And we've been able to partner together. We actually opened in... 2019, we opened 12 restaurants in 15 months. And since then, we've partnered in about 22 different locations. And part of what I do is I have communications with the managers that are in the venues, and I find myself having the same conversations over and over. A example might be, hey, you know what? We had to terminate that person. Oh, God, I hate to hear that. So how did that go? Where was your witness? What do you mean? Why did I need a witness? Well, because you do, because when you've chosen to release somebody, you have to create an environment to where it's not only supportive for them, but for you. And people say, I, I, I didn't realize I needed that. Or yeah. I didn't realize that in the middle of an interview, you couldn't ask somebody, hey, do you have a family? Do you have kids? No, you can't legally ask those questions. And over and over, I found myself when we were talking about finding staff, training staff, supporting them that I was having these same interactions. So I figured I was going to sit down and write a book that was going to take me out of my own industry, that it was going to be yeah. like, Hey, <laughs> and it's it, the most enjoyable thing is that my latest client is based in Indiana. And I usually do a one hour conversation with them about, Hey, these are the things that we do. This is how we communicate. And halfway through the guy held up my book and he goes, I have your book. And a lot of what you're saying, I'm picking up from from the chapters in your book. And I was like, good. This means that I don't have to have these long conversations anymore. And that that means that I've done the right thing. 
Yeah, what well, you're you've added value by producing this this wonderful book to you know it to well effectively. I mean, it's probably a lot cheaper for them to buy the book than to take an hour of your time. Yeah, that is true. That is definitely true. And I mean, d- depending on what I'm talking about, an hour is a long time with me. That's for sure. I mean, I, you and I will be spending an hour together, but um, it's it'll be a much better banter with than just me talking straight for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope so. No, yeah. no, no, definitely. We'll, we'll make sure of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then, and then as the book goes on, it just gets more and more to the larger aspects that restaurant managers deal with as a whole, like dealing with negativity and burnout and huge personalities that usually own restaurants and how to deal with blunt criticism and all of the things that no one will ever sit and teach you. I don't care yeah. if you have the best training in the world. There's just certain aspects that no culinary school is going to sit down and say, well, this is what happens when you have this super alpha owner who is fully unconvinced on how their visions affect you operationally. How do you deal with that? And that's that's the last half of the book. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose as well, I mean, there'll be a lot of people, I think this is just a species thing more than anything else. We're a, ph- a phenomenally proud species, aren't we? Sure. So the the asking for help element, especially if you've just been promoted into a role where you you want to excel, if you, you know, there's almost this, this barrier to ask for help because I have to demonstrate that I'm worth this position. Sure. And I mean, and how many times as a restaurant manager do you ask your staff, hey, do you need any help? And they always say no. And yeah. they say no because they feel that asking for help is a weakness. And the opposite is absolutely true. Not asking for help is a weakness, which is why yeah. – and I, I can I, I take any credit for it. As a man named Lance French. I thanked him uh, in the book for it. He taught me uh, four words when you go over to anybody and say, hey, do you have any – do you need any help? The four words was – I have the time. And by being able to use those four words in junction with the request, people will stop and they'll change. So if you walk over to somebody in the middle of the rush and they're running back and forth and you say, hey, do you need any help? I have the time. You'll find that they'll stop and say, oh, you're present for me. Great. Could you go talk to table 23 or can you go get waters for 12 or can you go help me seat at the door? And it shows your availability. You as a manager just need to be able to follow up and do exactly what you've just said that you're willing to do. Yeah. God, I mean, the power of language, eh? Jeez. Yeah, I, uh, well, you'd know that having studied English. I, I, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy the how much time I spend trying to remove vocabulary from staff. Just yesterday, I was having the conversation about the removal of the term, uh, unfortunately, because it's one of those no words that we don't ever use because it, yeah. it ends everything with a negative. So do you have a table for eight o'clock? Unfortunately, we do not. So if you swap that with although every time, then do you have a table at eight o'clock becomes although I don't have a table at eight o'clock. And then it forces you into a response. I do have one at seven or I do have one tomorrow at the same time. Yeah. And we'll, we go through as part of our staff training and just start changing those terms of art to where it just sounds better in the ear and people's responses are infinitely better. The, my, my biggest pet peeve is when you walk into a restaurant and someone says, do you have a reservation? Which is like, hi, did you screw up? Did you, did you, uh, 
<laughs> it's the worst way to be good. So I just pivot it to, is there a reservation I may check in for you? And if someone says no, then you say, great, well, we're going to get you taken care of. And you still reassure them, but you also have to make sure that if they had a reservation, you you, you make sure then to check them in because people love their points on those reservation platforms. And if you don't check them in, they'll yell at you because they didn't get their points for, for using their app. So yeah, yeah. it's important. Yeah, but and the two most important impressions are the, the first and last, right? So uh, if you're not making a, a positive impression as somebody walks through your door, then they're they're already on the back foot. That's why I legitimately, and I know it's it's so easy to say that all positions are so important. Uh, to me, the most important position is a host because you have the ability to know exactly how people are feeling, whether it's about your restaurant or something outside of their restaurant from the moment that they walk in. It could be about your valet. It could be about their day. It could be about their spouse. It could be about anything. But you can tell whether or not someone's having a good experience or not. And we train and develop and empower people who are at the host stand to then alert us and let us know, hey, table 24 coming in hot. They are not having a good day. So then that's going to be an extra appetizer or an extra table touch or an extra something to try to make sure that that experience is good. Even more importantly is I'm the person who, if I have a, if I'm having a negative experience in the restaurant, you'll never know. I'm a very good actor. I will sit there when when the server comes over and says, how is everything? And I'll smile. Mm -hmm, That's good. And then the manager will come over and I'll smile. And you'll never know until I start walking. Because inevitably, I'm the person I'll look at my wife and go, we are never coming back here. And I'll do that as we're walking out. My face will drop and you can tell. We've empowered our host to then watch people as they leave. And if you notice that that drop of facade to where you can tell that people didn't have a great experience we empower them to chase you out the door and literally comp your meal or invite you back for a free something or do anything because if we can if we can still have that conversation before you leave it's it's easier and you have a better better possibility of having them in return than to possibly lose them forever you know just the, the apathy of well i'm not coming back and then you just lose them into the wind yeah, or they they then go and leave you a terrible TripAdvisor review. Or uh, I I honestly I would take it. I I would rather somebody give me a one star review than not than no stars at all. Which sounds counterintuitive that you'd rather have a one star than no. But that's still passion. I've never written four paragraphs about my salmon. I don't. I just I, I can't <laughs> imagine the but the level of. I mean, just abject disappointment that somebody has is just straight up passion of saying, oh, God, this was so terrible and so awful. And so but in terms of relationship, relationships don't end when you're arguing. They end when you're apathetic. As long as you're arguing, there's some sort of passion. You can turn a one star into a five star all day. I can as long as you're still keeping the communication, I'm still table touching outside the four walls and it works I'll, I'll take it all the time. It's just the yeah. people I'll, I, you can't find. And I'm that person you can't. Actually, I call it my mom syndrome because my mom won't say anything. And then she'll go to bridge group or to church and she'll just tell everybody there, I had the worst experience and it was terrible at this restaurant. But she's not going to go on to TripAdvisor <laughs> and she's not going to say anything in the restaurant. My mom's the real killer. That's the one that you don't want because she does have that influence and that power and that knitting circle that. <laughs> 
good luck because she'll tell everyone there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I suppose big point there is that we we can't know if that's a good impression of your mum or not, right? But the um, <laughs> no, felt it's like she was in the room. On, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, she's not alone. That's uh, that's actually the 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 way that I, I would imagine the vast majority of people complain by not complaining to the place that they've they've had the experience in, but actually going to complain to the their friendship group oh, or yeah. wherever they you know the company they keep. Well, I think that there's probably a psychology that says that something interesting happened to them. And people love to talk about themselves as, you know, evidence with me at at this exact moment. But the fact is that people, when an event happens to them, that's something new. That's something outside of the norm. And so that they can talk about these things with their friends. Oh, I had this experience. But the number of times that that's enjoyable because they had a positive experience isn't nearly as gripping is having a negative one it's the, it's the if it bleeds it leads sort of journalism mentality of the worse it is the more people want to hear about it so mm-hmm. yeah suddenly my mom becomes the star of bridge group because she had this terrible experience and we'll talk about it for 20 minutes and yep. in turn convince 30 other ladies not to go to that restaurant that's the person that you should be fearful of yeah 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 and then they might go and tell their other friendship groups, yep. the exact same thing. Yep. And, did, you, uh, did you hear yeah. about Ken's mom? That oh wow, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all, well, we all know about Ken's mom now. So, uh, <laughs> By the way, I hope she didn't listen to this because I think she's yeah. going to think that I just think that she goes and <laughs> rats on everything, but she doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, she'll get the point that you were just you were creating a a, a scenario that could exist. Correct. Yeah, and does exist. You know, it, it absolutely as as we discussed it is. It's the, the vast the, the way that the vast majority actually complain is to not complain at all, but to just whinge about it to other people. Without question, without question, that is just such a a reality of who we are as people. So you have to, from a restaurant manager standpoint, figure out how to find the, those people like myself and probably like yourself that won't leave a review that have subtle clues how they you know. How much do they clear their plate? Are they? Can you tell if they're from a distance if they're truly enjoying it? Can are they commenting and looking down at their dish? You can tell from body language from ten feet away whether someone's truly enjoying their dish or not. You just have to be vigilant yeah. on the floor and then be willing to be persistent when somebody tells you it's fine when you know that it isn't. Yeah, and that needs a fully engaged workforce, doesn't it? Really, like kind of from top to bottom which is to, to so hard right able... now. So yeah, so, yeah. So very hard, yes. Yeah, so I I'm guessing this is this is also something that you you come across quite frequently. Very frequently. The interesting thing that happened here in the US is that as states were opening in the south and staying closed in the north, a lot of people literally went south. So People right. from the Chicago area and New York area went down to Texas or Florida because these states were 100 percent open. Whether or not that that was logical within the you know, the tackling of the pandemic, whatever, I was the person who was beating the drum of saying, please, please let us reopen our restaurants simply because it's that number staggering of the number of places that I know and the number of places that we all know that just don't exist anymore that yeah. legitimately are gone and friends and people in the industry that lost everything because of because of what happened. So as 
southern states started opening, it was logical that people were going to go. The people who wanted to stay in the industry wanted to go down there. Now our challenge here is simply it's a lot of people who left the industry, went to construction, went to real estate, went to something else and decided that that's, they didn't want to come back to the grind. And then we have an entire other group that have figured out that they make more money on unemployment than they do working. And so they've chosen to stay on unemployment. And that's been a challenge. Yeah. Uh, what, what is it like in the UK from a uh, government assistance standpoint? Are you having that similar challenge right now? Yeah, so we they over here they introduced something that they call furlough, which is a word that I don't think anybody had ever heard until the the pandemic kicked in, uh, which was a, a supportive package up to the tune of eighty percent of your salary up to a certain level. So there was a maximum payout of I think it was two and a half thousand pounds per month, and so yeah, we're in exactly the same situation whereby there are people who are. Happy to kind of, I suppose, sit and take that until such time that it becomes relevant for them to go back to work, but also have been looking at other things perhaps and have decided to step away from the industry, whether that's forever or just a temporary fix. There's still probably a long way to go before this all kind of balances itself out and we really truly know what we're playing with. Um, but yeah, it's not uh, a particularly at the moment. It's not. It's been a helpful situation for businesses to stay and keep their their head above water. Mm-hmm. But it's not a helpful situation in the sense now that we're, that we're reopening. We still don't have a real clear visual on what that looks like. I and I agree. I mean, from our end, the a one year ago from today, those loans, the that government assistance was essential in order to keep businesses afloat in order to keep people paid. These were absolutely necessary aspects. Now that we have, we're getting close to herd immunity. We're getting close to the places to where we've allowed many states to where the mask mandate has gone away. There is that push to get back to some sense of normalcy. And given that challenge, the, the latest thing is that you can still make X amount of dollars here and then qualify by still saying, well, you know, if I'm under the threshold of making less than 250 bucks a week or whatever that is, I can still get my unemployment. So what we're having is people that are coming back to work, but then they are calling off once they hit that threshold because they know that they've worked enough to where they can make a few extra bucks, but they don't have to work their full schedule because if they did, then they don't need government assistance anymore. Now, it's easy to kind of point a finger and say, oh, it's their fault. But it's not. It's ours simply because it means we've created an industry that doesn't make people want to go back. If you're an architect and you you get the opportunity to go back to being an architect, you probably would rather do that than sitting on government assistance, both specifically from a compensation standpoint. And maybe we've made an industry in some form or fashion that is not as attractive to come back to, which is why yeah. you have to kind of change the conversations with how you're communicating with your staff and how you're appreciating your staff in order to get the right staff to come back. Because yes, because if, if you're a restaurant that, that are just horrible to your staff and you're a grinder and you've got the guy in dish working 14 hours and everybody's working on doubles, I wouldn't come back. I would absolutely stay on my couch. There's no way I would. So I don't, I don't yeah. blame anyone for not doing it. I, I blame restaurants for not creating an environment that is welcoming 
to the point to where people are excited about the opportunity to return to the our industry. Yeah, absolutely. I I could not agree with you more. I think that there's a deeper issue than just looking at the um you know the the, the level of support that's come in, which has been necessary for businesses to survive. Completely is is actually that that branding of the industry as a place to come work, and that is a much deeper conversation that needs to take place. You know, pretty much we've got to go right back to the uh, we've got to look at the life cycle of coming to work in this industry whether you're joining it as a, a student who's just making ends meet or whether you always know that this is what, what you want to do or whether you don't find it until you're you know, in your 40s or 50s or whatever. Um, but something needs to be done. And I thought that, that it's actually really interesting to, to hear your point on this because I thought this was a UK-specific issue, but it, it's, it does feel increasingly like this is more of a global problem. It is absolutely a global problem. I have this in Florida. I have this in Chicago. I just got back from Vegas, and they have it there. They, I, I haven't gone to a place that they're not having staffing challenges. Now, that being the case, there are different restaurant groups and different restaurant tours in each pocket that usually based on who they were during the pandemic have had an easier time place in Chicago here that's doing very well, changed all of their kitchens to community kitchens. So they didn't just feed the staff, which I thought that was, you know, always logical and supportive to do during the pandemic, but they, they fed their entire community. And then when the vaccine started coming out, they literally changed one of their restaurants to a site for people to be able to get vaccines and offered it to every single member of their staff. They mm. developed a supportive environment to where as the world reopened, they were standing head and shoulders above everybody else because they chose to be a catalyst for betterment and change during such a huge trying time. So yeah. I'm not going to say that it's, it's easy for them to find staff, but they're not the place that's looking for 19 managers. And I and I know those places as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose in any given sector, there are those who do things well and those who don't, right? I mean, that's that's not... Uh, that's not revolutionary exactly yes no (laughs) but at the same time you know there is probably it doesn't look like it right now but there is probably a wonderful opportunity that maybe we'll never be presented with again to to rebrand you know to to as if we're reopening the industry from scratch Mm -hmm. and look at all of the things that we have historically kind of just gotten into bad habits and and you know that's how we've ended up doing this and just you know, and call it out and say, right, no, no more. We don't do this anymore. This is you know we're going to become the industry that is the the greatest place to come and work. I think that you are exactly correct. The silver lining to any of this is trying to focus on the people that are doing this well and had and have the communication with their teams to where it's it's supportive and hopefully changes the dynamic. Because yes. We've all know those restaurant groups. We all know those restaurant tours who spend a lot of time chest beating and saying, it's so great. We are, we are fantastic and you, you should be happy to work for us. Yeah. And, the, <laughs> and it couldn't be more further from the truth because yeah. pre pandemic, but especially now, if you're a good server, a good bartender, a good host, a good cook, then guess what? You can work anywhere you want. Literally, you can just go to and just, any city, any state, doesn't matter. Any country, you can work simply because 
you are in high demand. It's the people, the conversations of you should be so happy to work for us has to change. That person, that server makes a decision every single morning when they wake up and they say, yep, I'm choosing to go into work and I'm choosing to work for that. And that should be met with, thank you so much for, for choosing to help us out. Thank you for yeah. being here. And just that simple change in dynamic will allow people to communicate better to where they're not dilettantes on the floor, to where they're not speaking to people in curt and horrible ways. They are literally saying, hey, we're in this together. We all have responsibilities, and we really appreciate your being willing to, to work alongside us instead of for us. Yeah, and, and this is something that you cover again in in the book. To bring it back to the book, that was a, a lovely little um, deep conversation we had there for, for a few minutes. But, a little rabbit um, hole, that's good. Yeah, but it, you know, actually what you, and, and I don't know whether you did this strategically or whether it's just happened by complete and utter uh, you know, uh, fluke, but actually the, a lot of the subject matters that you talk about in your book now really, really cover off this moment in time that we're in. And I think the, the point you make there around... You know that that needs to to a company needs to look at themselves and ask themselves why would anybody want to come and work for us? Yep. And they've got to come up with exceptional answers to every single moment that somebody wants to come and spend some time and work with with that organization. And I think you know that there's um, that comes down ultimately down to leadership, and that comes then back to. Uh, is that restaurant manager ready for that leadership? And if not, then they need help. And that's when they can you know, look at a resource like your book, as an example. Well, it's it to me, the term, and this isn't in the book, so maybe I should put this in, the, in some sort of second edition version, but it's trying to make your staff unpoachable. It, poaching has never been a thing that I've been a super fan of. And I know a lot of restaurant groups that do it. They, they're opening up a new restaurant, so they go around to all the competitors and they give out business cards. Hey, you should come work for us and all this other stuff. I've always kind of hated it. I think it's slimy, but people get so mad when, Oh, this restaurant came in and they poached my staff. Well, it's on you if they're poachable because there are definitely restaurateurs that you can walk in. I don't care where you're from and say, Hey, you want to come work for us? And they'll say, no, I love where I'm at. I'm respected. People treat me with quality. I love, I love this place and these are my friends. So no, I'm good. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. And, and so you don't have to worry about that restaurant that just opens up down the street that's trying to take all your staff because let them try. They're not poachable. And that is a huge miss that restaurants spend a lot of time not understanding, which is that's the value. Create the environment to where people just, they absolutely crave to be there and you don't have to worry about not only them leaving, but the level of hospitality that they're giving to your guests simply because they're talking about something that they have genuine passion and love for. And if you can instill that, everything else is a cakewalk. Yeah, uh, totally. I could not agree more. And, uh, you know, uh, we, companies spend an awful lot of money marketing to get, you know, guests and customers through the door. But they, um, if they actually spent a little bit of money on um, on making sure that they, they, their teams were engaged and that, that they're actually enjoying being where they're at and you know how you attract good people into that environment in the first place, ultimately your reputation will, will take care of itself, but it, it's not an overnight success. 
that is absolutely the case. And I think a lot of that still as much as putting a certain amount of marketing dollars behind these things in order to focus on from a staff level is helpful. It's the word of mouth. I mean, there's, there's industry pages on Facebook in every single city and you, you'll know in 10 minutes the places you don't want to work simply by just reading through them and finding out that industry talks and they know the, they know the churn and burns. They know the great places. And if you become one of those, it's usually because of the management. It's usually because they've chosen a different conversation that they're, they're aligned philosophically to where they feel supported and it's a great place to be. But unfortunately, that's the exception, not the rule in a lot of markets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and well, again, I take cold comfort from the fact that this appears to be a a global issue rather than just a a UK issue. So hopefully, anybody listening to this is perked up a little bit. But it doesn't solve the problem. That's the point. Yes. If we were if we're aware of the problem, at least we can deal with it, and at least the conversation is being had a lot more. But the um, conversation is one thing. I think it's it's action that's needed. I would agree with that. I think that the support from what happened with the financial support for the actual restaurants kept a lot of great restaurants open. It also kept a lot of bad restaurants open. And I think yeah. that you're going to see in the next year the attrition of those that probably would have closed if there wasn't a pandemic anyway are going to close. And the places that are needed that help to thrive have probably changed their mentality, and hopefully so, and will change the the dynamic. The challenge that I'm running into right now is from a guest standpoint, they're coming back into the restaurants expecting to have what I call 2019 experiences with half the staff because yeah. th- this is the challenge. You you walk in, the place seats 240 people and you have literally half the staff. So that means that Food's going to come out slower. Drinks are going to be slower. Wait times are going to be longer. And there's even a possibility that you can't even seat the entire restaurant. And the conversation at the host stand where people are pointing at an empty table and saying, well, why can't they sit there? And you know that if you flat seat the entire restaurant, you're going to ruin the experience for absolutely everybody has been challenging. And mm. that is – I mean that that's my – my challenge to people that are coming back to restaurants now and saying, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to come out of my house. This is my first time that I've been out with my family. And we're like, thank you. Thank you so much for coming. We love that you're here. And we're not in any way laying back on trying to not make your experience exceptional. But if we literally have 50% of our staff in some areas, you you have to understand it's going to take longer and you have to be courteous in your understanding of that. And that's been a challenge because that sometimes really isn't the case. People have been cooped up for so long that they've lost their level of patience to where when they come out, they're like, wow, you've had so much time to get this all together. I'm like, no, (laughs) no, we really haven't. It went from a hundred to zero and then to a zero to 50 to a hundred in a, in a blink of an eye, which means we had to restaff, redevelop, retrain, and then get people to come back to our industry. But guests sometimes really don't understand that. And that's where you have to get into fixing broken tables and table touching and having conversations and not explaining, oh, it's because of our staffing, but still guarding that experience with a guest so that they're being heard. And if that is slowing down service, doing what you would do normally if it wasn't a global staffing situation, if it was just a you know, a rush on a Friday night. And that goes yeah. back to 
management that that care and that's that's the toughest thing is getting a manager who's not just walking through the motions but is actually walking the floor talking to guests because they have a genuine interest in hospitality and not just being perfunctory yeah but i also think that there's there's also an element that that people can come across as not caring when they're in that moment when they're out of their depth it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not they don't care about it's just that they've gotten to a point where the end of their knowledge has you know they're past that now but there's not enough support or there's not enough leadership above them to help them get to that next stage and that's the po- the, the 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 point sometimes that gets missed is that um you know it doesn't mean because somebody is is a little bit you know flippant or 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 comes across as being that way. Is that they may just be in that moment of stretch that um, where they actually need the help. Yep, and they haven't understood how to step back and have an understanding of why people feel the way that they do. And I, mm. I this, and this happens at tables, and this happens on online reviews. You have to understand the psychology of the person who's communicating a challenge. And first off. Thank God for people that are willing to speak up and say that there's a problem. Because as mentioned earlier, if you're just apathetic and walk out the door and don't say anything, that's terrible and you can never change. But sometimes when people complain, there's this aspect to where people think that they're just whinging just to get things for free. And that is just wrongheaded and playing detective. And People get very defensive sometimes about why people are complaining. You have to understand the psychology of why that person is ranting and why they are upset or why they feel that they have to go on social media. And what that says more about them from a deeper level, the example that I see is people – like, for example, a steak can be overdone, and I people take that so – Personally, it's almost as though that they think that we intentionally did that to them on purpose. <laughs> and so they get, what you did to me, I everybody else's, but you did this to me. And then you have to think from a psychological standpoint, who is the person that thinks that the chef is in the back is like, uh, seat three, table 43, we are overcooking her steak. We are doing it. What you guys, <laughs> it's, it's not a real thing, but psychologically they feel that, which means they probably feel that in their life a lot. And they probably feel that the world is a little against them and that they don't mm. feel that, that. So they're always adversarial. And then once you see that, the only thing that you're left with is kind of compassion and pity. And if you see someone with a level of pity, it's like a, your, your only response is to be like, Oh, okay. Well, we're going to get you taken care of. It's totally fine. Well, I'm so sorry that you're having this in the same way you would with this small child that was freaking out. You'd be like, it's okay. We got you. Don't worry about it. And if you do that and you have that psychology when you're dealing with people, then you don't go home and drink a, a fifth of Jack Daniels and say, oh, my God, <laughs> I hate my life and everyone screams because you spent all night battling because you're meeting aggression with a similar aggression. You can yeah. go home clear headed and you don't get into all the traps that our industry has of massive substance abuse issues and massive alcohol issues and massive suicide rates. It's that it's a true and real thing. And a lot of it is based on being able to understand that negativity and not absorbing it. It's it's I joke, but the reality is, is that the, the dealing with that negativity is 
I mean, that is that is our biggest challenge operationally as you move forward in management. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I suppose there are things that you can do as an individual to to negate your own reaction to things, but I think equally it is the it is the responsibility of the the organization and the leadership to to create a forum where if things are going badly, then let's talk about them, but not, you know, don't don't just call somebody out and you know lambast them for it. Right. You know, give them an opportunity to say like that that was a terrible service. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I was just in the wrong state of mind or whatever. And don't, you know, without the fear of retribution, basically. Sure. And I mean, and that's okay to have. If you know that you're, whether it's a a manager who's having their, a, a terrible experience and their owner or GM wants to have a conversation with them about it or same as with your server or bartender, or if it's a self-assessment of your own and you say, I realize that I didn't bring my best foot forward. It's the understanding of why, and is it getting to you? And, you know, I, I guess holidays are great. You can go take a vacation and you can re- take a week off, but half the time that I ever, leave for something i come back and i have twice as much stress so i've been that much farther away <laughs> so the answer isn't to go run away for a week and go drink somewhere in a in a resort the answer is to figure out why you got yourself into that point in the first place and how you can change your life and your expectations in order to not have that level of stress and i get into this a lot having to do with your communication with the people that try to manage you on how you're picking those times in your life that are for you and breaking out scheduled things that you know that these are your times, whether it is a extracurricular activity, religious activity, whatever it is, family activity that you've said, nope, Tuesdays, I have to be out by seven. This is when I do this. And admin times to where you're doing scheduling and invoicing that you're putting it on the schedule schedule so that everybody understands that from two to five on Mondays, that's what you're doing. And floor still has coverage. Everything is fine. But these are your times to do that. So you're not at home on your couch still working because the minute that starts happening, that's the breakdown of work-life balance. Everything begins to fall apart. And then the next thing you know, you're that burned out person who doesn't understand why. And now you're looking for another industry and we can't have that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it needs more people like you to to uh, chip in with resources like you have produced, but also for you know owners and and leaders to to take ownership and leadership of of these matters as well. True, but I mean the 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 challenge is is that people often think that somebody's going to look at them. There's this old school model that you think that exists where people are going to say, "Oh." I think Todd's a really good manager. Let's go ahead and promote him to the next level. Or I think Susie's a fantastic server. Let's give her a promotion. None of this happens. You don't, for, by and large, if you are working for an exceptional person, a mentor that I've been fortunate to have several times in my career, then yes, they are those people. But the by and large, the majority of people that are managing you aren't spending a lot of time noticing your accomplishments. And so the self-promotion is self-preservation it is legitimately you are your best pr agent you are your best person to trumpet your successes so if you do want to move on from restaurant management or move up the chain or do something else or just be understood of how many hours a week you're working and what you're doing there's ways to communicate that without whinging about it all the time and by the way the term whinging i learned when i used to run top golf 
years ago when I had to go from the right. US and the UK. And when you said it, it made me so happy to hear that word because I love it so damn much. <laughs> so now I've used it twice. But oh, that's a that's definitely a, a UK word. Oh for my sure. god, such a great yes. So I was flying over there a lot, going to like Surrey and Watford and Chigwell, and I heard whinging a lot because early in my career I was pretty susceptible to doing it myself. So um, the the fact is, is I really think that if you're focusing on promoting who you are as a person. And your accomplishments without doing it to where it's self-congratulating, but it's data, there are ways to where people can understand, oh, yeah, this is this is what Ken's doing. And because of that, they deserve promotion or they deserve balance in their life, and I'm not going to tax them with this many other things. But mm. no one's going to recognize that. No, Nobody's going to give you work-life balance. You have to take it for yourself. Just do yeah, I like that a lot. That, I mean, that's t that's taking ownership of, of yourself and your actions, right? I suppose at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. You have you have to. I mean, we were taught as kids that being modest and being quiet is a value. You know, don't be loud. Don't be abrasive. Don't be rude. Don't be pushy. Well, you don't have to be pushy and rude, but you definitely have to be loud and you definitely have to celebrate your own successes or else they go you know, unrecognized. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, what what else can readers of your your book expect? So I think the <laughs> when people get the book, uh, it's very interesting. Is that people who are just getting into the industry, whether you've been doing it for like a year, two, three, or maybe you're thinking about becoming a restaurant manager, I always say, great, read the book as you normally would, from front to back, because it starts with why are you in this industry, why you choose this to how do you find staff to how do you develop staff and all of that? And it just goes in the progression. But if you've been doing it for a while, I tell those people read it backwards because it literally, if you read it chapter by chapter backwards, it starts with now that you're in the industry, what are the rules? And the rules are like, if you're out at a restaurant and they recognize you and they comp part of your meal, tip on the full amount and tip more. And amazingly that doesn't happen as much as it should. Or, if you go into your own restaurant on your night off, realize you're last. You don't get first service. You don't get best table. You don't get quickest. You're last. And the sooner you realize that, the better because this is your restaurant that you're associated with, but you are still, it's still supportive for you not to get the, you know, the preferential thing should be for the people that are paying. So that starts with that. Then there's a quiz of, are these the things that you know? And then there's math having to do with costing models. And then there's self-promotion. And it goes backwards from more of a building next steps. And so my suggestion, if you've been doing it for a while, read the book backwards. Take it chapter by chapter backwards. And I think that you'll still find that by the time that you get back up to that communication with your staff, that you've you found a lot more things than you might have thought about going into it. Right. Interesting. And the download, of course, we have to talk about it. I and I don't know what it is, Phil. So you're gonna have to tell me for the UK, but for the US, we have Amazon Kindle, but it's just downloadable version for 99 yeah. cents here. And I've kept it very inexpensive globally, as much as humanly possible, because the downloads, it's not about profit; it's about getting the information out there. And if somebody wants to email me at Corgan Hospitality, that's K-O-R-G-E-N Hospitality, and wants a free PDF, I'll send it to you. I, I want the information out 
that's my thing that I think I'm doing to help an industry that needs help, to help managers that aren't being given any sort of training, but are just been given the keys. And I want to be helpful in that way. If you want to buy the book, like the actual physical book, great. Those are available on all major platforms and definitely love, love your willingness to do that. But if you just want the information, download it inexpensively or email me. I'll get it to you. I just, I think that's the takeaway that I want everyone to know is that my reasoning for creating the book, this is not profit. I just, I spent far more creating the book than I will ever make on it by, by fivefold. But it's it's about trying to do something positive in this industry. Yeah, and that definitely comes across. And I think even just the way that, that you are, you're clearly uh you're clearly doing what you were supposed to be doing all along. And I, I you know, you've you've built a career over however many years it is now, uh, and you're you're also now being in the consultative world, you know, you're out there helping people be create better humans and create better businesses uh, you know every every day of your working life thank you phil i, I appreciate that there's a there's a there's a kind comment that's saying that i deserve to be in this industry because i i carry that with a badge of honor so thank you oh you're very welcome absolutely i'll uh i'll assume that the checks in the post <laughs> um, if people don't pay in checks anymore do they <laughs> yeah no i've it, it, <laughs> it, isn't it crypto now or just send me some yeah, bitcoin probably. or whatever the <laughs> whatever like the that. new one is sure <laughs> yeah but no you know i i think there are some real here and now issues out there i think your book does address a lot of very a kind of simple things that probably should have been in play but for whatever reason have just been forgotten or uh you know people have just gotten into bad habits or whatever i would absolutely recommend anybody who is is in a position at whatever kind of stage in your your management career to to pick up the book and and give it a whirl because I guarantee you will learn something or will it will bring something that you'd forgotten back to the front of your mind. And I think anything that we can do to, to make people's lives easier out there at the moment, I think um, I, I'm all for that. Well, thank you. And now the check is in the post back the other way. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. So uh, you mentioned your, your website, your email address. I, is it can, K-E-N at Corgan, K-O-R-G-E-N, hospitality. Or you can just go to the one on the website and it funnels to me as well. And you can see a little bit of what we do and what makes consulting at for Corgan different than a lot of consulting companies because uh, you know, a lot of people have real bad experiences with consultants. They traditionally just come in and point and say, these things are wrong, and then they collect a check and leave. And they don't really provide any sort of sustainable long-term value for restaurateurs. So my battle has always been I've taken a, an industry, a part of the industry, which is consulting, which is usually a pejorative and pretty maligned, and rightfully so, and I'm trying to bring some positivity into it. Yeah. I think, well, in the short time that we've we've known each other, I think even given the fact that you're, it's more important for you that the information in your book gets out rather than you you turn a buck uh, yep. from it i think tells me everything about you as a human and you know you you've got a, a, a higher purpose here any plans for a, a second book yes yes there are hey. yes now yeah it's going to take me a little little time to pull it together but it's going to be i might as well just let the cat out the um the focus is more from a how to 
folks from a senior management standpoint and how you can build a culture and development to where people want to work uh, with you. And it's based on kind of that culture aspect from a, well, I'm just going to say it. It's, and I know this is going to sound really weird, Phil, but I'm going to go with it. You know, the term cult leader. Okay. The term, the word, word cult is not always a negative. Now, yes, if you're a cult leader, you think of terrible things and people, but cult films, cult books, cult things, people have things that they're drawn to. And if you look at a parallel between some of things, why people are obsessed with a certain film or why they're obsessed with a certain media, what is that that drives them to have that hyper alignment with somebody, then you can have a similar sort of style with management to where people will be interested and attracted to follow into you. The challenge is being a good cult leader, being somebody who people are driven to you because you are a positive person for a community, because you are true and you're genuine, but you can align some of those philosophies there. So yeah. how, how to be a good cult leader is going to be the second book. Fantastic. And so there you go. That's, that is, that is what it is going to be. So I guess the world can, you know, quickly scribe out their own version <laughs> yeah. although i think i've copyrighted it but it's, it still doesn't matter it's you know so someone can come along and do that anyway but again like anything else it's nothing you can do that can't be done it's i, I don't think that anything that i've written here or in the future will be too revolutionarily different than anything that anyone else has done i just happen to put it in a diff, in a certain structure at a certain time in life that hopefully resonates with people. And that's all I really want at the end of the day. Fantastic. Well, that strikes me as a wonderfully positive way to wrap it up. And uh, I'd like to thank you, well, possibly the biggest thanks I've ever given anyone because uh, what people don't know when they're listening to this is that you set your alarm for very early in the morning, <laughs> four o'clock your time we we conducted this, this chat, uh, which is definitely a world first for this humble little show. So I thank you from the uh, the bottom of my heart for for making that that time. I was already leaving the the house at five thirty four a.m. is no different, uh, and more importantly, Phil, it's this has meant so much to me for so many reasons. But I just love the fact that you've been willing to have me on your show, and I would wake. I'd just pull an all nighter just to just to talk to you again. So hey, maybe our, maybe our paths will cross again soon. I'm sure they will. Thank you very much, Ken. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. Cheers. And there we have it. Ken is just a wonderful human being who has a deep love for hospitality and has created a cracking resource for the industry. Head over to your favourite book retailer to pick up your copy of The Surprise Restaurant Manager and we look forward to more of Ken's work in the future. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week for more amazing stories from hospitality.